morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be with you. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors at the church here, uh, executive pastor and on the teaching team. And uh, it's, it's good to be able to open up God's word together. We're going to be in the book of James for most of our time together. And if you want to look, uh, if you want to use the Bibles on the seats underneath you or in front of you, we're on page 1011, 1011 is where we'll be uh, in the book of James. And then we'll flip the page over and continue on in, in just a little bit. I want to say, as we get going, I want to say thank you. Uh, many of you have asked about Lori's dad, Peter, uh, who is a part of this church congregation. And uh, last week on Monday, he had a pretty significant open-heart surgery for the third time in his life. And uh, he continues to recover. And so I just ask if you, if you think about that, today is his sixth day, fifth or sixth, however you count it from the surgery, uh, in the ICU still trying to recover uh, from that surgery. And we're really praying that his oxygen levels will will rise. That's what needs to happen for him to step down out of ICU. So if you think about that this morning, thank you for your prayers. Uh, thank you for, for thinking about uh, him and, and our family, even as we pray and, and think about you. I'll also mention, uh, if you didn't hear, our senior pastor, Pastor Rick, uh, was scheduled to preach in Burlington this morning and went into the hospital yesterday morning with pains in his side and had appendicitis. And so last night, Pastor Rick has his appendix taken out uh, and he's doing well. I texted him this morning. I'm sure Andrew uh, talked to him as well, and he seems to be doing well. He'll be headed home. Uh, but if you think about Pastor Rick, you could be praying for his, his recovery. I don't know. I heard that yesterday, and I thought to myself, this guy will do anything to get out of preaching, right? <laughs> Just pretty, uh, I mean, God bless him for going so far. Uh, and then I was thinking, I think it's actually his third appendix he's had taken out in the last couple of years. <laughs> so I'm not sure. He's running out of, running out of lists, but... Uh, no, he's doing well, and I would thank the Lord for that. Uh, you already know, you already know that one of the things that we have at our church location here that we're really blessed with is a group of pretty amazing musicians, right? Uh, I see some head nods there. It seems like we're in agreement. It's pretty, some pretty incredible musicians. You saw the people that were on stage today, and that's just a portion of the people that are, that are involved in the music ministry here in Belmont, and we're so thankful for that, and I don't know about you, one of the things that I really enjoyed over the past couple of months is if you were with us during the Advent season, uh, Daphne Lee was a part of the team, and she played her violin uh, as a part of, of worship. And uh, I asked Daphne if I, could, if I could bring this up. I don't know if she's, sometimes she's hiding up in the balcony somewhere. She said she was okay with it. And uh, I don't know if you know about uh, Daphne and her ability on the violin, but it's pretty incredible. She's in ninth grade. She plays for the Boston uh, Youth Philharmonic. Last year, uh, it's conducted uh, by the legendary conductor, Benjamin Zander, and TED Talk speaker. I know I'm more from the TED Talk than the conducting, but that's all right. And uh, she, last year, they traveled through South Africa playing. This year, they're going to Europe, and it's pretty incredible uh, all that she's accomplished. And my, I, I understand her brother Josh is a pretty accomplished cellist as well, so maybe we can, we can uh, get him up on, on stage too. And when I watch Daphne play the violin, it reminds me that when I was about Daphne's age, I too played the violin. <laughs> and that's true. Now, my career was a little less illustrious 
than Daphne's is. I played, uh, not for the Boston Youth Philharmonic, I played for the orchestra at Millard North Middle School in Omaha, Nebraska. You may have heard of it. And we were conducted by the widely unknown conductor, Stan Ivey. And Stan had, uh, Mr. Ivey had the uh, incredible ability to conduct while fixing his comb over. It was pretty incredible how he could put all that together. Uh, Our tour stops included the Miller North Middle School Gymnasium, which we played once a year, and that was about it. Uh, And at least when I played, I feel like I increased people's prayer life as they prayed that it would soon, soon be over. I'll tell you what, though, in uh, Sunday in December, I was here early at the church, and Daphne came in early to practice, and I heard her start to warm up. Now, when I played the violin, I did not play it well, but I played for a few years, and I learned a few things, right? And there were certain ways that you took out your instrument and you cared for it, and there were certain scales that you played to warm up. And it's, uh, there are certain ways that you would take care of the bow and, and all the pieces of the violin. And it was interesting to me, even though Daphne, is, her skill level is far superior to anything I could have ever thought about in playing the violin. When I listened to her warm up, some of the things that she was doing were the same things that I used to do. And I'm reminded that no matter what it is that you do, Regardless of your skill level, there are certain fundamentals that you have to do over and over and over again if you're going to continue to develop in something. I go to a Boston Celtics basketball game or I watch them and they're running the same drills that my kids run when they're they're doing their town league. And if we were to go backstage at Broadway, we hear some of the same vocal warm-ups that we'd hear backstage at Belmont High School before their musical. No matter what you're doing, there's certain fundamental things that you need to do over and over and over again. And so that's why we start every single year at at Mount Hope talking about the fundamentals of what it means to grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And there's certain things that no matter what your maturity level is as a Christian, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've done, no matter where you've been, that you simply have to do over and over and over again. You can't get away from them. They're the free throws and rebounds of the faith. They're the vocal warm-ups, the scales of the faith. You've got to do them again and again. And those things are, you have to get into God's Word. You have to read the Bible for yourself. You have to spend time in prayer. You need to, empowered by the Holy Spirit, live a generous life that God calls us to live and serve others. And so we've been talking about that over the past couple of weeks, as Andrew mentioned, and we've been using this idea of church in the mirror. Basically, if we were to look at ourselves in the mirror as a church, as a congregation, as individuals, how are we doing on these things? And we've been using James chapter 1, verse 22 and through 24 as the, as the foundation of this series that we've been in. And if you look at those verses in James chapter 1, this is what he says. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. When we think about uh, what God calls us to do, there is this side that we believe And for sure, you are saved by your faith in Jesus Christ. But James reminds us that it's not just about belief, that there has to be some sort of action that supports the belief. 
to be sure, I think what James is saying to us is that, is that yeah, you are saved through faith. You're not saved by your works. But your works are an indication about whether or not you have faith and whether or not you are saved. If you want to know if somebody's really growing deeper in their knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, or if, if you are growing deeper in your knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, you're able to look at your daily actions and say, if I look back six months, if I look back a year, am I closer to being like Christ today than I was back then? And any forward progress is a good thing. It never happens as quickly as we want it to. But any forward progress in that direction is a good thing, is what James is telling us. And so we have these statements at Mount Hope that we use uh, over and over again to remind us of the fundamentals. And, and as, since this is the last week we're doing this, I'm going to recap them for us. We say this. We say God's word is true. So we don't change the Bible to fit our lives. We change our lives to fit the Bible. We get into God's word. There's a reading plan back at the Connect Center if you want to join us. Prayer is powerful, we say, so we make it our first priority and not our last resort. God is generous to us, we talked about last week, so we live beneath our means so that we can give beyond our limits. And today we're going to talk about this last statement that we talk about each year. That Jesus calls us to serve. And Jesus himself came to serve. That's what he says. So we are not passive spiritual consumers. We are active servants. It's a part of who we are. We don't want to come be people that come together and just receive. We want to be people that come to together and, yes, receive, but also live the life of service that Jesus modeled for us. Part of what we've been doing in this sermon series is looking back at the results of a church health assessment that we took in October. Uh, it was our way of looking in the mirror Asking you, how do you think we're doing on all of these things? And so we've been sharing some of those results with you as a part of this sermon series. So I'd like to share with you the results from four questions that are really, I think, around this idea of service. How are we as a church doing and serving others out there in the world around us? How are we doing as a church and serving one another? Sitting right here in the rows of the church. And this is what we said. The question was, how well does our church demonstrate acts of love, justice, and mercy to people who are in need outside of the church, but within our reach? And certainly, I think there's always room for improvement on this, but most people seem to think that we were doing, we're doing a, a decent job. And then we ask this question, how well does our church attend to the needs of the world's most impoverished people? And I thought there was something interesting about this. One is, it seemed we were a little less certain about this on the whole than we were the first question, talking about the most impoverished people in the world. Uh, the second thing is that don't know column seems to be rising here in this one. That we may be doing this, but we're just not quite sure. Especially for us in Belmont, the answer to this question is something that I can promise you that we as a leadership team are paying attention to. Overall, how effective are we at living out an outward focus in our church? You can see that many of us feel like we're doing a pretty good job with that, but yet here in Belmont, which is the blue line, uh, where there's that middle group is, is, is pretty, pretty high. So you're saying, I, th I take this, that you're saying to us, there's more that we could be doing to, re to be reaching out to the community around us. And we take that seriously. We'll certainly be praying and thinking about that. 
This last one is how well does our church provide for those in need within the fellowship of believers, including the unemployed, the widow, and the single parents. This one's really interesting because either you feel like we're doing a great job with this or you don't know. About two-thirds of us say it, we're doing really well or very well, and then about a third of the church says, we're not quite sure. Are the needs in our congregation being met? We don't know. And so what I take from the survey results, what we as a team are taking from the survey results as we work through them, uh, is, is that we have a church that wants to help people. And I know this about Mount Hope. I've been around Mount Hope for 20, for 20 years. One thing I love about Mount Hope is there are people in this church that want to help. They want to meet needs. But corporately, there, there's probably more that we can be doing to reach the community around us. And when it comes to how well we're doing meeting the needs within the congregation, there's some uncertainty there. We're not quite sure. And so even while we as a, as a church and as a leadership team are going to be thinking more about this, I want to take a moment and just ask the question, what is it that, that we are supposed to be doing? The needs that exist in the world are overwhelming, aren't they? I mean, you can't possibly take it all in. You can watch one news channel and then another news channel, and then you could read one website and another website, and the amount of needs that are happening around the world, and then you could talk to the person behind you, and they would have some needs, and you could talk to the person across the aisle from you, and they would have more needs. The amount of needs that are in the world around us, the amount of individual needs, the amount of corporate needs are overwhelming. And we would love to fix it all. But I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by it that I don't even know where to start. And I'm not quite sure exactly what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. So I want to talk about what, is, what does Scripture tell us we should be doing? Now, there's no possible way I can answer that entire question in the next couple of minutes. But I think there's one thing that as I read the book of James, he's calling us to that is really important. The first thing I see in Scripture, and I think it's important for us to talk about, is that there are acts of service that are best done corporately. There are things that we can do when we all get together that we just can't do on our own. There are things that we can accomplish when we all get together uh, that, that we can't necessarily do on our own. And there's, there's all sorts of things that I can point to over the years that have gotten done, but you see this in Scripture as well. Andrew, last week in his sermon on on living generously and giving generously. He talked about the early church in the book of Acts and how they corporately met together and they, they cared for one another and they met each other's needs. And the only way they could do that was to do that as a whole. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he praises the Macedonian church for their generosity as a corporate whole, how they got together and together that they, they gave of themselves and they sacrificed and lived in poverty so that others could hear the good news of Jesus Christ and others' needs could be met. So there's certainly in Scripture this idea that many acts of service are best done corporately. And this is where I feel like there's some, there's uh, many of People said, well, I'm not really sure what that looks like in Mount Hope. So even as I recognize there is more that we could do, here's some of the things that we already do at Mount Hope. One of the things that we do is we partner with global outreach partners. And you hear about that many times. About once a month, we're going to have a global outreach partner come into our service and tell you what they're doing. 
corporately, as a whole group, uh, we, we, faith promise, we pledged, it's not a pledge, we gave faith promises totaling $250,000 for this year of 2024 that we as a church, between us and our congregation in Burlington, are going to be giving to missions. That's pretty incredible, a quarter of a million dollars. Now, I don't know uh, if you have the ability just on your own to give a quarter of a million dollars to missions in 2024. If you have that ability, I mean, good for you, fantastic. Uh, you're really killing it out there, all right? I don't have that ability to give a quarter of a million dollars to missions in one year, but we do together. And many of our missions partners are some pr- in some pretty poor places around the world, and they're, bring- they're meeting needs of people. Our compassion ministry, we partner with organizations in the Boston area that are meeting needs and doing great work in preaching the gospel. We partner with gospel-centered organizations that help others. And so our Compassion Ministry Fund, and if you go to that uh, mounthope.org slash give page, you can give to the fund. Uh, right now, it, we have three Compassion Ministry partners, and we would love to have more. We partner with Amira House. Uh, Amira House is a, is a New England-based ministry that ministers to women uh, who are caught in, in sex trafficking situations and helps, helps them get out and, and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We partner with uh, New Life Home, which is a, a home that houses women and children and run by Grace Rosado, who's a member of our Burlington campus. And we, a brand new partner, we partner with a ministry called Alive in Christ that reaches out to the LGBTQ community and does great ministry there. So those are our three Compassion Ministry partners. And as that fund grows over time, uh, we will continue continue to to add partners. Pastor Eddie Stewart leads our prison ministry. I don't know if you know this, but regularly there's a group of people from Mount Hope that are going into local prisons and running chapel services and ministering to people there. Our benevolence ministry is led by Dan Rakich, our elder who is sitting right here. And our benevolence ministry is a fund that that meets the needs that we know about, individual needs in our church congregation. And I want to encourage you, if you go to mounthope.org slash give, if you go to that page, it's not just a place to give of your tithes and offerings. If you scroll down on that page, there is a big list of all the benevolence needs that we have met recently at Mount Hope. And there are open items of things that people are in need of, that we know of. And I want to encourage you to take a look at that. If you're wondering, are we meeting the needs of people? Are we aware of needs? That's a place that you can go and say, oh, these are the open needs in our, in our congregation. Here's are some of the needs that we have met. Uh, pastoral care. Very recently, we've added to our team And corporately, as you give generously and live generously, as we've talked about, we've been able to add a couple of people to our team. Pastor Avon Duncan in in Burlington and Pastor Thomas Vanderlaan right here in in Belmont. We're trying to add to our pastoral team so that we have more pastoral care to meet the needs of individuals. These are the kinds of things that we're trying to do. Is there more that we could do? Of course. Some needs are met best corporately. You know what I'm really challenged with as I look at Scripture? I love a good initiative. I like a good program. It's great to think of a strategy, and I'm for it all. But when I look at Scripture, what I'm struck with is what the Bible talks most about 
is not the need for more corporate structure and program and strategy to meet need. What the Bible most says is that there are acts of service that you and I need to do individually. If I flip over to James chapter 2, and I look in James chapter 2, verse 14, James is talking to the early church, early Christians. He says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So what does saving faith look like? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. One of the things I, I notice in Scripture is James here in these verses, he could have said to the early Christians that he was talking to, if someone comes into your into your uh, meeting, if someone comes into your home and they are poorly clothed and they're lacking in food, and you say to them, right, this is what we say. We don't want to get into it. Uh, th this is what, what we all say. Someone needs something. They're talking to you. You know they need something. Uh, this is the way that you get out of it in a good Christian way. You, you say, uh, well, that re sounds really tough. I'll be praying for you. And sometimes that is a really genuine thing. And sometimes if I'm going to be honest with you, it is a way to kind of back away from the need. And that's what James is talking about. James is talking about when somebody has a need right in front of you, a brother or sister in Christ, someone that you know next to you has a need, and they're lacking in daily food, or, they, or they're poorly clothed, and one of you says, hey, great to see you. Go in peace. James says, what good is that? What, what good is that? And I'm challenged by that. Because so often when I, when I see things like that, just the way my brain works and the way my mind works and the fact that I know that the needs are so overwhelming and that there's no possible way that I could meet the needs of another person. The true needs of another person. I say to myself, well, we need to come up with some sort of strategy here. We've got some people that are poorly clothed and that don't have enough food. And so, and so what we need is we need an initiative, and we're going to collect some food, and we're going to collect some clothes, and we're going to give it to those people. But James doesn't say that to the early church. James says, no, no, you do it. As individuals, when you see the need, try and meet it. And I'm reminded when I read this that when I see the Lord face to face, I don't think he's going to ask me, did you attend a church that had a lot of great initiatives that met the needs of people? Although I'm not saying that that's not important. I don't think that's the question I'm going to get. I think the question that I'm going to get is, is I'm going to get, did you love people the way I called you to love people? Did you serve people the way I call you to serve people? Did you meet the needs of the people around you the way I call you to meet the needs of the people around you. I'll tell you what stops me from doing this if I'm talking just personally. And I've said it a couple of times, it's just overwhelming to me. I know I can't fix it. If someone has a real, a real food problem, I know I, I can't long term be the sole support for that person. And so it stops me from engaging at all. 
the most helpful phrase I ever heard from someone on this. There's a pastor who was preaching on this, and he said, you have to remember that scripturally, it's not your job to fill somebody else's cup. That's God's job. God fills people's cups to overflowing. It's not your job to fill someone else's cup, but it is your job as a Christian to empty yours. And I love that phrase. That's helpful to me. That's freeing to me. That when James calls me to this, I can say, okay, I can't be the ultimate solution, but I can help now. Have you ever been a part of a company where they had all sorts of value statements on the wall? And they had the value statement, it said on the wall, Every's voice, everybody's voice is valuable. Everybody's voice is important. And it said that on the wall. It said that on the website. It said that in the employee handbook. And then you got in meetings. And in the meeting, it was very clear that only a couple voices mattered. You ever experienced anything like that? Or you've all worked for perfect companies? I've heard that some people experience things like that in companies. It only works. The value only works if every individual from the top person down to the new hire embraces it and actively lives it out. And it's the same thing with these statements. The statements that we have at Mount Hope, they only work if we as individuals embrace them and live them out. And it's just, it might, it's a great idea that we all should read our Bible. It only works if we all actually do it. It doesn't just work if the preacher does it. It works if we as individuals do it and grow in our knowledge in Jesus Christ. And the same thing with acts of service. And as I read scripture around this, this the last couple of weeks, I felt that over and over again. And I felt convicted. It's not just your job, pastor, to come up with initiatives that can fix things. It's your job to serve in the places that God puts right in front of you. I thought about a passage in, in Luke chapter 3. Actually, Pastor Rick brought this up as we were preparing for the sermon that he's not preaching. And as we got into Luke chapter 3, you have John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. He's, the, he's called the forerunner for Jesus. He kind of paved the way for Jesus' ministry. And there's this moment in Luke chapter 3 that religious leaders are coming to John and other people are coming to John for baptism and teaching. And he tells them this. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to bear fruit keep it in keeping with repentance. And what he means by that is, you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and bring growing in your knowledge and love of Jesus Christ? The first thing you need to do is repent. Recognize that God took care of your greatest needs through Jesus Christ on the cross. And so you come and you lay your life down. Confess your sin. Ask for his forgiveness. Turn from your ways. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Rely on him. That's the first thing. And John's saying, once you've done that, you need to start bearing fruit consistent with that action. And so then they come and ask him. And they said, well, then what does that look like? What should we do? And John says this. He said to them, Whoever has two tunics, this is what fruit that's consistent with following Jesus Christ looks like. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Then soldiers came 
and asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Now, I know that many of us in the room are not soldiers or tax collectors, but yet what I think John is saying to us, because we probably have extra food and maybe even an extra jacket. What John is saying to us is that fruit that is in line with being a follower of Jesus, fruit that's in line with repentance, is that you go and you do what you can with what you have where you're at. I'll tell you the most powerful stories of service that I've experienced in the life of the church is stories that start with the words, by the way. People will come and say, by the way, pastor, so-and-so was in the hospital this week. And this family made meals, and this family picked up their kids and helped drive them around. And, and it, was, it was really a great thing, and, and everything, was, everything was went for it, everything was taken care of. Now, I don't say those are the greatest stories because I get to, the church gets to wipe their hands of it. But that is the church being the church. That is what's supposed to happen. We are supposed to know each other to the point that we understand each other's needs and that we are working to meet our needs as we see them in front of us. That we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. I'm struck by the reality that this is how Jesus did his ministry. Jesus served people and met their needs all the time. And never once did he get his disciples together and say, you know what we need is we need a strategy here. We need a strategy where we can get together and we can figure out a pipeline so that we can meet the needs of people. Never once does Jesus do that. What Jesus does is that Jesus goes in his ministry and he's sensitive to the people in front of him. And when there's a need, and his father tells him to meet that need, he does it. And there's something there that's really important for the way that we are called to live. I invite the worship team back up as we, as we prepare to close this morning. And as we do, I want to tell you something that happened just a couple of weeks ago, and it happened right back there in the corner of the sanctuary. There's a, a gentleman that had been coming to our building before church services, and he wasn't staying for the church services, but he would come before the church services and grab a cup of coffee and, and uh, talk to some people, and, and uh, he's a nice guy, but it's clear that there are some needs that he had in his life. One Sunday, he came to me, and he said, uh, he said, why doesn't your church have a, have a clothing drive? And I thought, I said, well, well what do you mean? And he's like, because a lot of churches I know, they have clothing drives. Um, and then they gather clothes, and then they hand them out to people who need the clothes. And so I felt guilty, and I'm like, yeah, why, why don't we have a clothing drive? I mean, we should have a clothing drive. So I start making notes. I said, all right. Got to talk to some other people. We got to figure out, should we have a clothing drive? How do we vet this opportunity? Uh, what would we do? Where would we gather them? Where would we store them? This is how my mind starts to work when he says that. What I didn't recognize at all 
because sometimes I'm not the most perceptive person in the world, as my wife will gladly tell you, is that he just had a need that needed to be met. So he did something really smart. He went and talked to somebody else. And he found uh, Mike D'Agostino, who was checking kids in in the back. And he said the same words. I heard him say it. He said, your church should have like a clothing drive. And Mike said to him, oh, do you need clothes? And I heard that and I thought, oh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Gotta be kidding me. And he said, no, 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 not me, not me. And Mike said, what size are you? And he told him, he's like, but I don't need anything. Mike's like, what shoe size do you have? There, what, what shoe size are you? And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't need anything. Uh, it's not for me. I'm just saying, like, churches do that, and you should, really, you should really do it. Mike said, what's your shoe size? And he told him. And Mike said, next Sunday, you come here, I'll have a bag of clothes for you. And so during the week, Mike called me up, and he said, hey, you have any clothes that we can throw in this bag? And Mike and I got together, and we threw some clothes in the bag. He did, all the, he did it all. I was just the, uh, the, the, I just, you know, hitched my wagon to his star so I could look good. And, and we put some clothes together. Sure enough, the guy showed up. He looked through the bag of clothes. And when I watched him leave the building, he was wearing one of my shirts. And I thought, see, that's what we're called to. Should we have programs? Yes. But it really starts to work. The spirit really comes alive. The ministry that Jesus did begins to happen among us when we as individuals do this. So here's my encouragement to you today. As you go today, do what you can do with what you have where you're at. Maybe you're like me. You see the needs and you, you immediately say, someone should do something about this. There should be some sort of program. There should be a nonprofit. The government should do something. But I got to look myself in the mirror. I say, well, what's God calling me to do? I don't have to fill up somebody's cup. But I better be emptying mine. So this morning, is the way you serve others consistent with your faith? Are you bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? What are the needs right here in this congregation you can meet? Who is the person you are to give something to, pray for, or share Jesus with? It's great for us to do this corporately. But God really begins to work when we do it individually. So God, we thank you for how you met our greatest need through Jesus Christ in the cross. How you took all our sin, all our shame, with you to that place and you died and rose again that we might have life, have it to the full here in this place and have it in eternity with you. And God, thank you that you meet our needs, that you promise to provide everything that we need, that you provide our daily bread, that you provide for the clothing that we need. And I know, Lord, there's some people in this room this morning that aren't quite sure exactly how all of their needs are going to be met and all of the bills are going to be paid. And God, we know that you are faithful to meet those needs. 
And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would so open our eyes and, and prepare our hearts that we might be able to see the needs around us we might be willing to do what you call us to do and to empty our cup just as you emptied yourself for us. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's uh, worship together as we close.